0: Welcome to part two of this week's podcast.
1: With what we've been talking about, if we could go back to section 67, um, verse 13, to kind of complete this whole thing we've been talking about. Uh, let's see, Hank, Hank, would you like to read that for us, verse 13?
2: Yeah, sixty-seven, thirteen. ye are not able to abide the presence of God now, neither the ministering of angels, wherefore continue in patience until ye are perfected.
1: Isn't that beautiful with all we've been talking about, you know, God's admonition, not only to us individually, but, but the church too, and the restoration, right? Uh, you know, again, the, this, this uh, infallibility um, narrative that we sometimes uh, fall into, I, I think we need to be careful, and we individually, and even as a church, you know, I, I've often, speaking of patience, continuing patience. You know what I'm hearing from a lot of people with all the changes the church has been making, and there's been a lot in the last couple of years, right? I, I'm hearing I, I uh, minister, teach to some older people in my ward, and I have acquaintances in ward, and 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 these are really, really good, wonderful people. I mean, salt of the earth people, former bishops, former state presidents. Th- Some of them are very concerned, not only about what's going on in society, but how rapidly a lot of the changes in the church are happening. Yet, when I teach institute and BYU classes, a lot of my very faithful young single adult students sometimes they don't think the changes are happening quick enough. Do you see, yeah. do you see, do you see the tension between those two groups? And I, one of my thoughts is, boy, I, I'm so glad I'm not in the quorum of the 12 mm-hmm. trying to hold on to this group and, and that generation and this group over here and that generation. I mean, but continue in patience until you're perfect. I, all of us, we, we need to continue. We need to be patient. And I, I, the The brethren bless their heart i I see so many wonderful things going on in the church, and yet so many groups oh, there's t- too much of this, no, there's too little of that, yeah you know? yeah, I love that i I
2: think I am uh John, we've talked about this before, my patients' problems um and uh the the <laughs> idea that don't laugh at that uh you know sometimes i i in my prayers, I say. Um, I'm ready for, for bigger miracles. I'm ready for, you know, v- angels and visions. And I think the Lord is, all right, easy. Um, <laughs> you are not able to abide the presence of God now, neither the ministering of angels continue in patience. You know, and uh, it's very uh, a parenting moment of, I feel like I'm ready. And the Lord's saying, I know that you're not ready. So just slow down and keep doing what you've been asked to do. Um, cause I, 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 I'm one who jumps the gun. Let's, let's move forward fast. Right. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I just wanted to tell you something I underlined in verse 14. I just thought, wow, look at that. Look at that first phrase. Let not your minds turn back as everything mm. we've been talking about. I put my margin and this is an application of that. Not necessarily what, um, Exactly tied to the context and the people, but I'm looking at that going, don't dwell on the past. Let not your minds turn back. Um, everything we've talked about and repentance and moving forward, and uh I just like that that phrase.
2: Yeah, that's a great um, phrase, John. Re-
0: regret focuses on the past, worry focuses on the future, but focusing on what's right in front of us, my, my favorite golf quotation is the only thing that matters in golf is the next shot. So what do I do today? The next shot, what do I do today? Let not your minds turn back. Yeah, you
1: got the bogey, but what's right in front of you right now? And you see this in the gospel, kind of like you said, it, it's it's verse 14, let not your minds turn back. What did Christ say in the New Testament? He says, uh, no man having put his uh, hand to the plow, the plow looking and looking back. back is worthy of the kingdom. But then he says, on the other hand, uh, take in the Sermon on the Mount, take no thought, for the, the morrow. Morrow. for the morrow.
0: For Right. If I could add something, because I went right to it before you said it. I went to the last verse of Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Right. Well, in our King James... The Take No Thought, you look down below, it's spoken earlier in Matthew 6, and it says anxious concern. So, Mm. I was reading a book years ago called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, because I'm an expert in worry. I'm really good at it. (laughs) And uh, the Dale Carnegie dude wrote this book, and he pointed out something that, that I have verified since, that... In the King James translation, it says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, but take the NIV, the American Standard, take a bunch of the other reputable New Testament translations. The word is not thought, it's worry.
1: Worry, yeah.
0: And our Bible changes it to anxious concern. Of course you think about tomorrow. That's very
1: President Monson. You make plans and goals, right? You have to.
2: There's a great verse in 1 Nephi 16 that uh, uh, S. Michael Wilcox pointed out to me once uh, where the daughters of Ishmael, their father dies and they're mourning exceedingly, which is okay. That's in front of you. That's present. They're mourning mm-hmm. exceedingly. Right. And then Nephi adds, and they get upset because of all the sufferings they've had in the wilderness. And because of they're bringing up all their past problems and now all their present problems, they start to predict the future. It's in 1 <laughs> Nephi, Nephi 16, they say, and we must perish in the wilderness with which, which hunger, which yeah. never happens. They're now suffering for future trials that are never going to happen. This is First mm. Nephi sixteen verse thirty five. Point.
0: Really good point. Our
2: father is dead. We have wandered much in the wilderness. We have suffered much affliction, hunger, thirst, and fatigue. And after all these sufferings, we must perish in the wilderness with hunger. So now I'm suffering for future trials that are never going to happen. Right. Uh, right. And I I find myself doing that too. What if this goes wrong? What if this? What good if point. this? And,
0: yeah uh, you know Hank that I love Moroni and uh, in Mormon chapter 8, the poor guy takes over. my father's been killed in battle. This was his life's work, the Book of Mormon. I have no ore. I have no family. I am alone. my all my kindred are gone, and the Nephites are like this. And he gets to this point where his whole tone of voice changes if you read Mormon 8 and all of a sudden he just says, I make an end of speaking concerning this people. I am Moroni. I am a son of Mormon, and I'm going to finish this record. And it's really, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but read it. It's really cool how he says, okay, I'm done with the past and my problems. I'm going to finish my father's record. And I don't know how long it took him to write Mormon chapter eight, but watch for
1: that moment. It's pretty inspiring to me. Yeah. Well, and you know, if I could add one more thing, guys, going back to the story I told about my student, right, that uh, said he finally owned it. I think that's what we're talking about, right? He fi- Where peace and happiness finally came to him, he had to quit dwelling in the past, right? And what had happened. And he once he finally owned it, it was that step from the past sins to, to a step into the present, in the present now and being there and being there with God. So, you know.
0: Well, this is great. We are never going to finish the Doctrine and Covenants if we don't. (laughs) Okay. Let's, Let's jump into... 68, Rob, what, what, have, like, tell us about it. What do you see there?
1: Yeah. So, you know, just quickly, you know, revelation given through Joseph Smith in response to prayer that the mind of the Lord had been name, known. And it mentions four individuals Orson Hyde, Lucas Johnson, Lyman E. Johnson, and oh, there he is again, right? And William E. e. McClellan. You know, one of the things, real quick, before we jump into section 68, here now, if you look at 66, 67, 68, and 75, you got four revelations that deal with this guy, William E. McClellan, who not only becomes an anti-Mormon critic, but he leaves the church and never does come back. And I, in full disclosure, I wrote a paper once on William E. McClellan. That's why I love to to talk about this history so much. Um, And I think one of the takeaways from this, again, this is a microcosm and maybe off the beaten path here, but I think God not only works with imperfect people, and people that ultimately leave his kingdom, um, but there are things we can learn from these incidents, from these people, and from these histories. And so, you know, I, I think that's significant. Am I? Tr- do I want to glorify and glamorize? No, 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 no. I'm I'm not doing that. But boy, what are the lessons God is trying to teach me through other people, through? incidents that I might think are insignificant. You know, you have a bad day and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I got through that day and passed it. And now I can get on with life. Wait, wait, wait. You might've missed, again, this comes back to living in the present. You might've missed something in that boring sacrament meeting or that unwanted trial. I think, you know, it reminds me of what Elder Maxwell said one time. He said, we not only need to go through our trials but we need to let our trials go through us. And how often do we just dismiss things because it's not a Nephi Moroni big home run moment. And maybe some of the most powerful lessons God's trying to teach us are coming through the small and simple things.
2: That's interesting. These uh, four guys, two of them are gonna, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here. Two of them are gonna die in the faith. Orson Hyde is gonna go on to he was just twenty-two years old when he's baptized. He's going to go. Uh, he's going to be the first missionary in the Holy
1: Land, right? He is,
2: he's going gonna...
1: uh, to. In fact, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Hang, I think he mm. he dedicates the Holy Land. He dedicates
2: the... the Holy Land. Yeah,
0: there's a there's a monument there.
2: I've often complained because when we go to the Holy Land, it takes like a good twenty-four hours of traveling to get there. Twenty-two hours of traveling. Uh, I think it took him. Uh, six months of of traveling yeah. to finally get to to get to the Holy Land. Um, Luke Johnson is going to um, uh, die faithful. Uh, he's going to leave the church for a bit and return. Uh, Lyman Johnson, if I remember right, Lyman Johnson is going to leave the church and then say to the twelve about a year later, uh, "quote I have never seen a happy moment since." It's such a heartbreaking story where he says, I have not seen a happy moment since, you know, I disaffected.
0: And these two Johnsons, I mean, there's a billion Johnsons in the world, but these two are, are they not John Johnson's sons of of Elsa Johnson, whose arm was healed by uh, Joseph Smith? Yeah. So they're living in Hiram, Ohio at the John Johnson farm.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing about these four, all four of them, all... Original members of, the, of the Quorum of the Twelve at the time of their calling, I said little little addendum, I said age 24, it was 23, <laughs> even <laughs> younger. So Lyman E. Johnson was 23 when he went into the quorum. Lucas Johnson, 27. Uh, William E. McClellan, age 29, goes into the quorum of the 12, 1835, and Orson Hyde, age 30, all four of them original members of the Quorum of the Twelve. Hmm. And this Orson Hyde, did I get that right? Is 20.
2: Uh, He's born January of 1805. So would have been about
1: 26, right? Yeah. All right. So let's get into 68, Rob. You know, some, some cool verses. I don't know if we want to spend a whole lot of time, but verse, let's just read verse three and four, if we could real quick, Uh, John, if you want to do verse three, Hank, verse four.
0: And this is the ensample unto them, that they shall speak as they are moved upon by the Holy
1: Ghost. John, could you give us uh, a, a, an, ensam- an ensample of uh, what it's <laughs> being spoken of in verse 3? No. <laughs> what, well, what do we, as what do we... <laughs> an ensample,
0: they give out free samples at Costco. <laughs> they may go. have had a free ensample.
1: <laughs> yes, I love those samples. They're very yeah. good. Okay. This
0: spaghetti sauce can be yours. Um, uh, <laughs> And sample is just an old old way of saying example, right?
1: There you go. There you go. Okay, (laughs) verse four, Hank.
2: And whatsoever they shall speak when moved upon by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture. Wow. Shall be the will of the Lord, shall be the mind of the Lord, shall be the word of the Lord, shall be the voice of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation.
1: How should we interpret verse four? How how might, how maybe a better question is, how might we misinterpret verse four?
2: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah, I... uh, I I think our definitions. We have to be careful with the definition of scripture. If you know what what is binding right. uh, scripture, um, but there have been times where I've had conversations, you know, with John or other friends, uh, with my wife, of course, where they've been s- the conversations have been full of the Spirit, and it's been so uplifting that it is like. Right? Reading scripture, it, it just feels, you know, so powerful and uplifting like we're opening the doors of, of heaven. Uh I I don't think it we should be recorded, printed, and handed out in you know the enzyme, uh, but um or not it's Liahona, sorry. Um but uh it is it has the same feel to it um as scripture.
0: Yeah, scripture is is that which is written. I think that was the definition in Joseph Smith's day. Uh and uh I think we're on the right track here as I understand it that there are there is scripture that is binding on the whole church that is is the canon. There are other things um, President Benson called patriarchal blessings personal scripture, but those aren't published right. to the world and they're not binding on the whole church. So uh, okay. something I may have said to someone as a missionary, Hopefully, I was uh, moved upon by the Holy Ghost, but that for that setting in that place, uh, you know, maybe reached that level. But uh, yeah, so I think we're we're not saying anything anybody ever says under the inspiration is scripture on par with the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants. I don't think we're saying
2: that. Can you imagine our our, our scripture (laughs) sets we'd have? uh, Volume 907. (laughs) Uh, I need to get that out. So what do you think, Rob?
1: You know, going back to Joseph Fielding McConkie, I remember one time he gave an in-service to us and he he bore the most interesting testimony at the conclusion of this one uh, in-service that he gave. And he said, He goes, "'And I want to bear you my testimony that all those things that I spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost are true.'" And he said, and those things which were not spoken by the Holy Ghost, do with those what you want. Uh, do <laughs> that with is awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah. my, one of my great uh, moments in life is when I submitted a paper to Joseph Fielding McConkie in my master's program, and he returned it, not with a letter grade, but with a check plus smiley face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's on. It's framed on my wall. So, yeah.
2: I really like verse six. Um, when I was... When I first got started as a scripture reader, you know when I was a when I was a teenager, when I really tried to take it seriously, I would uh, oftentimes for me reading the scriptures was like finding finding those just really powerful chunks. I didn't really understand the setting. I didn't understand who the Lord was talking to uh, like I do now. but at those times these little these little verses, you know that I would find really stood out to me, and this was one of them verse 6 wherefore be of good cheer and do not fear for I the Lord am with you I will stand by you ye shall bear record of me even Jesus Christ that I am the son of the living God that I was that I am and that I am to come that can kind of stand on its own as mm-hmm. to my little you know ninth grade heart as
1: right as absolutely a, you know, the
2: Lord bearing testimony to me
1: let's go down to verse
0: 25. And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes, which are organized. How many stakes were there? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> right. He was
0: forward looking here. Or in any of their stakes, which are organized and teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the son of the living God, and of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands when eight years old, the sin be upon the heads of the parents.
1: John, could we have a prayer right now for all of those parents that have very sinful children because their <laughs> those parents are in trouble at the final judgment. That's a lot of sin to be heaped upon their heads. Goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah, and no is sin is sin a word that can be plural and singular. Right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean obviously, I mean this this can't be talking about um the, the all of sins, their sins. The yeah. sins, plural, of the children are upon the heads of the parents. So, John, I mean, what, what could we take away and say? What what sin is this that's upon the heads of the parents? Yeah,
0: the, the sin wasn't teaching them to understand. And and I appreciate that it doesn't say teaching them or forcing them to accept, but at least you're teaching them to understand. Right. There's going to come a time where it's going to be a very individual thing for each of us, I think. But teach them to understand. Uh, the doctrine of repentance of faith in Christ. And if you don't even make that effort, if you don't try to teach them to understand that sin is upon the head of the parents, that's, that's how I read it.
2: Yeah. There's a difference between teaching and teaching to understand.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: To me, that's a, there's that's a, that's a different way of teaching. Um, I, I had a wonderful teacher in my doctorate program by the name of Sterling Hilton uh, he's a statistics um, incredible statistical statistics mind right and I was lost in statistics and I remember when he would try to teach me <laughs> and I say try he would try to teach me statistics and he would listen so closely to me because he wanted he wanted to see what I understood. He could just teach statistics and I would be sitting there lost. Or he could teach me to understand. And, I, and I, I learned that probably from any teacher, mostly from him, on really trying to focus on the student or the child, on what they understand, and then build from there, instead of just teaching. Um, that little phrase, teach them not to understand the doctrine, um, but uh, he, the Lord doesn't say that teach them not the doctrine. Right. right, that little phrase to understand has helped me focus more on on the learner and where they are individually.
1: What is it that we can hope, or what would be good for all of us to do as members of the church as we read the scriptures? What care should we take? Yeah, see, I, I
2: I like what you're what we're doing here because I think what the Lord, if I was going to say, okay, what the author's intent here is with Joseph and. The Lord, um I would guess the author's intent is make teaching your children a very high priority right um, I, because this is very important to me. It's so important to me that you know, it'll come up at judgment. What I think could be dangerous is someone who is a grandparent now reading this verse. And just feeling ashamed because their children are not on the path. I think that would you be know? the wrong approach.
1: Right to right. take
2: this because the Lord does not mean it. I would say as a as something to flog yourself with, but as a motivation to what you're dealing with right now, whether it be children or even grandchildren or even great grandchildren, um, that you can start today if you've never done so before, or or even better to teach these. These basic uh, principles of the gospel. John always. John is quick to point out that when the Lord wants things taught, he, he It's the. It always comes back to these four
0: first principles. I I love it. Right. It's, and I think too of, of this idea. I love that the stripling warriors did not say we know it's true. They said we knew our mothers knew it. And sometimes, uh, with my kids, I'm not sure where they're at, but I, but I want them to know that I know. And there will come a point where they'll they'll get older and they'll ha- want to get that same testimony. But here I'm going to teach them this is what I believe. This is what I know. And uh, and then they're going to do to do something with that. An agency can be very, can be very painful, but did I, did I strive? Did I try to teach them if, even if imperfectly, that I have faith in Christ, that I believe that he forgives, that I can repent, you know? John,
1: you know, I, I love that idea. Uh, you know, sometimes we, I think, downplay, but that's a gift of the spirit, right? To I mean, one gift of the spirit is to n- know in and of yourself that Jesus is the Christ, right? And another is uh, to believe on their words. And and, and the other is to believe on their words. And I wonder if we downplay, I hear people sometimes say, you can't live on borrowed white. And I, I think we understand that to an extent. I mean, we don't want to stay there, right? We want to, as George Q. Cannon said, you want to develop more spiritual gifts. But I when I hear that, I think, you know, that in going to the, uh, you know, the as you said, the stripling warriors that is a gift of the spirit that I think we need to respect. You know, if I could real quick, can we flip over to section 58? Um, there, there's a verse that I love in section 58. It's in ver- section 58 verse 59. And I, I, I've, I've shared this with people before because I, sometimes I think there's a culture in our church when we give testimony that we have to say, I know, I know this, I know that. And you know, This is a tricky thing because President Packer, you remember that quote that he gave one time, the candle of the Lord. Remember that beautiful talk? Mm -hmm. And he said that the the gaining of a testimony is found in the bearing of it right? And I think that's a true principle, right? But I also think that maybe we need to be careful and maybe we need to teach our children. I, and again, this is sensitive of how do you bear testimony? There's, again, there's there's cultural things we have in the church, like infallibility, right? There There's cultural things that aren't correct. And do we bear testimony of things that we know are true? Absolutely. But look at this verse, verse 59, Let no man return from this land. This is the Lord speaking to uh, Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon, and other, other missionaries, right? He says, let no man return from this land, except he bear record by the way of two things, that which he knows and most assuredly believes, and I thought, isn't that beautiful? Uh, and and I, I wish we had a culture sometimes in the church where where maybe we can stand and say, you know, I I don't know this. I'm growing. I'm progressing. But oh, I should I absolutely believe in this. And and it's I I think that kind of goes to Alma thirty two right when it says that uh you know once you start to feel those movements and those swellings is your knowledge perfect? No, it's not. Uh, but you do know that you have felt those swellings and those movements, and and continue. And so I I love that idea of bearing testimony, not only of that which I know, but that which I most assuredly believe. And again, that's I think that could be a sensitive topic because the gaining of, of a testimony is found in the bearing of it. Hey, one more thought, and then let's go on to section uh, sixty nine and seventy. But back it back to sixty eight and and verse twenty five. Um, you know, parents teaching children, uh, you know, when eight years old, and, and so it, we're supposed to teach them those principles by eight years old, but now going down to verse 27
2: and their children shall be baptized for the remission of their sins when eight years old and receive the laying on of hands.
1: Let me get some thoughts from you because you know, eight is the age it's the specific age the lord has designated you know i i've had i've had students and even parents before ask me what why do we baptize at aj it doesn't say that in the scriptures and i and it's like uh yeah it does no, it does <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow um but, but then you get a scripture like dnc 137 if i could read this verse 10 and i think this is in one other place it, it it's it's a similar Thing in section twenty nine, but it says I also beheld that children who die before they arrive, and it doesn't say age eight. It says before they arrive at the years plural, years of accountability are saved. Any thoughts, Hank or John, about the difference age eight specific arbitrary time when the Lord reveals we baptize? But I mean, does a does a does any child? when you look at all children that are so different, do they automatically become all of a sudden accountable right on their eighth birthday?
0: I think the Lord chose a year, but I think he knows when people are fully accountable and when they're not, and they chose a year, and I I really love number symbols. Eight is a symbol of new beginnings throughout the scriptures, and so I can see eight were saved on the ark, you know, uh, I, and so I think they they chose a year, but ultimately the Lord knows when people are really accountable. And that's why I like the one verse that says they begin to become accountable.
1: Right. Right. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I I've known some kids at age six and a half or seven are really are getting developed it. spiritually. Yeah. yeah. And others are 15 and they're not getting it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like how John is talking here that the Lord has common sense. Yes. We, we needed to choose an age uh, yeah. But any age would would probably, you know, would would be the same, right? It would be, well, that's too late. Oh, that's too early. There, There's just because everybody's different. So the Lord knows each individual. I think that's a beautiful idea that we're going to choose an age here, but um, I know you all individually. I think that's a beautiful idea. I, before we go on, um, yeah. unless you two have thoughts, I wanted to just grab verse 28. Yeah, actually, I have two thoughts. One uh, I wanted to share uh, because verse 25 can be, like we just talked about, can be a difficult verse for people who feel like, oh, I should have done more. Right. We should have had more family prayer. We should have had more scripture study. I, I should have taken advantage of more, you know, this is my fault. Um, and I remember uh, Bruce Hafen, Elder Bruce Hafen said once, he quoted David O. McKay, that no other success can compensate for failure in the home. Um, And he talked about how President McKay was talking about, give your best efforts to your your family. Don't leave them with the leftovers. He said, but President McKay was not saying that if somehow your children stray off uh, the gospel path, that you don't deserve any other success. That's what we've turned it into right that if your children stray off the gospel path you you should have no happiness anywhere ever we've kind of turned it into a from a an an encouraging quote to a to a kind of a flogging quote right where we where we beat people with it and then uh elder hafen said this he said there is a success that will compensate for failure in the home it is the atonement of jesus christ right. it can compensate for any failure in the home or without, so go to him. I, I just remember that uh, you almost could feel the size of of almost oh, yeah. the relief of parents throughout. You know, who read that quote or that and go, yes, in- there is, including
0: Lehi and Sariah for crying right. out loud. You know. Yeah. And uh, I, I, what's the old uh, story? Was it B. Lee? I can't remember. Hey, the Joneses are having trouble with their kids. Yeah, and Heavenly Father's having trouble with some of His too, right? <laughs> no.
2: And you can look, you can look forward. I, I, I my parents weren't perfect, but uh, my father, who recently passed away just last month, um, he he really tried uh, with all of his grandchildren to teach them. These principles to his last days, he was really trying to teach um, these principles because it was, it was forward looking to him. I can't, I can't fix what the mistakes I made in the past. I can't, you know, but I've got these grandkids in front of me. I'm going to, I'm going to try to teach them these principles. (laughs) Um, And then this other, this other story I wanted to bring up, Rob, just real quick is section 68, verse 28 teach their children to pray, Mm. teach their children to pray. And it immediately came to mind a story from president Henry B. Eyring. Uh, he talks about a time his father taught him to pray. This is, a this is from, uh, 2000, the 2003 enzyme. He said, uh, 2003, let's see what month is it? November, 2003. The afternoon, my mother died we went to the family home from the we went to the family home from the hospital we sat quietly in the darkened living room for a while dad excused himself and went up to his bedroom he was gone for a few minutes when he walked back into the living room there was a smile on his face he said that he'd been concerned for mother during the time he had gathered her things from the hospital room and thanked the staff for being so kind to her he thought of her going into the spirit world just minutes after her death He was afraid, oh, sorry, he was afraid she would be lonely if there was no one there to meet her. He had gone to his bedroom to ask his heavenly father to have someone greet Mildred, his wife and my mother. He said that he had been told in answer to his prayer that his mother had met his sweetheart. I smiled at that too, President Eyring says. Grandma Eyring was not very tall. I had a clear picture of her rushing through the crowd, her short legs moving rapidly on her mission to meet my mother. And then he says this, dad surely didn't intend at that moment to teach me about prayer, but he did. I can't remember a sermon from my mother or my father about prayer. They prayed when times were hard and when they were good and they reported in matter of fact ways, how kind God was, how powerful and how close. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I, mm. that story has always just stood out to me when I read that phrase, teach their children to pray,
1: you know, teach your children to pray, teach your children how to pray. Right. Um, I, I know you're probably both familiar with this, but I, you know, when I think of teaching children to pray, uh, not just to pray, but maybe how to pray. Um, you know, I think that phrase could be interpreted both ways. I think you're both familiar with that definition in the Bible dictionary under prayer. There is, you know, for the listeners uh, that we have here. That are not familiar with this in the Bible dictionary under the heading prayer, um, and and this is uh, in the entry on prayer. And it's oh, let's see, it's it's about eight pair, eight, probably seven or eight paragraphs down. It says prayer is the act by which the will of the father and the will of the child are brought in correspondence with each other. The object of prayer is not to change the will of God, but yeah. to but to secure for ourselves and for others. Blessings that God is already willing to grant, but are made conditional on our asking for them. And I, I love that idea. You know, some, you know, when we work with investigators and even with children, the first time when we teach them to pray, we do the Heavenly Father, we ask thee, we thank thee. You know, the four step thing, right? But, but isn't that beautiful? That uh, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for parents to teach children that you're not just asking for things? That might be where we start, but. We want to come in correspondence with God's will, and 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 prayer is a reverential act. It's a it's, it's it's a form of worship, and 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 what are those scriptures? There's a couple of scriptures that says, "And it shall be given you what you shall pray for." Right. Right. Uh, re- remember the disciple Nephi. God said, "Hey, I'm going to give you whatever you'll ask, because I know you will not ask amiss. miss." And, and and when I get in the proper framework of prayer. I'm not really praying for what I want. I'm, I'm, it, it's almost this worship revealed form that happens where God reveals to me what to pray for. Um, mm. If that, does, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, a, I think that's a more advanced concept, but boy, alignment. you know, an alignment. That's right. You know, hopefully we're teaching children, not just to pray, but but how to pray and and how to get that might those first four steps that we do with investigators that, that's probably a good place to start. But hopefully, as we teach children to pray, we 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 migrate over to this higher form of worship where we we commune with God and Oof. we don't just get through the prayer, right?
0: You know, looking at verse twenty five, I think of Elder Lawrence Corbridge's talk called "Stand Forever" and how he talked about primary questions versus secondary questions. And uh, Sister Joy uh, D. Jones, in uh, page 109 of the Come, Follow Me manual, said this. A key to helping children become sin-resistant is to begin at very early ages to lovingly infuse them with the basic gospel doctrines and principles from the scriptures, the articles of faith, the For the Strength of Youth booklet, primary songs, hymns, and our own personal testimonies that will lead children to the Savior. And when she says base, basic gospel doctrines, um, I look at 25. That's that's it. Faith in Christ, uh, the doctrine of repentance, which Elder Holland said is the most hopeful, encouraging word in the Christian vocabulary. Repentance is uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost and then how we use that moving forward in our daily life, you know. Um, so I, I appreciate uh, whenever we get... But there are so many different things we could talk about. I love it when the scriptures come back to okay, let's go back to first principles once again, yeah. and and mention those.
2: That was in the that was in the manual, John.
0: The yeah, that's in the come John's follow book. me manual,
1: page one hundred and nine.
2: Are we ready to keep going here, Rob?
1: Yeah. Let's go to section 69, a a shorter section. Um, you know, these are revelations all coming in November of 1831, all centering around the printing of the book of commandments verse six for the land of Zion shall be a seat and a place to receive and do all things. Um, back in section 57, and I'm sure you guys have already talked about this. Um, you know, Jackson County, that's the place that's appointed. Um, And and when you get a verse like this, it seems to be pretty definitive. The land of Zion shall be a seat and a place to receive and do all these things. Um, You know, a question that often comes up from some of my students is, uh, is Zion the New Jerusalem? Is this still the seat? Is it still the center place? Is it still the gathering place for the saints? Um, As it says in the Doctrine and Covenants and uh, let me just read uh, maybe a quote or two. Uh, There's not a whole lot we have um, that is uh, current about this. The brethren haven't said a whole lot, but there are a few things that have been said. First of all, let me back up and just read something. This is from, oh, this is from President Joseph Fielding Smith and Doctrines of Salvation. He says, The center place where the city of the New Jerusalem is to be built is Jackson County, Missouri. It was never the intent to substitute Utah or any other place for Jackson County. So kind of interesting, right? 2003, here's two of the most recent statements we have on Zion, the New Jerusalem still being the center place, not Utah. This is President Dallin H. um, Oakes, October conference 2003. And I love this statement. He says this. Many of us or our descendants will doubtless will doubtless participate in the fulfillment of the prophecies of the building of the city of the new Jerusalem. But in this matter, the timing is the Lord's, not ours. We will not be approved or blessed in clearing the ground or pouring the footings for that great project until the Lord has said that it is time in this, as in so many other things, The Lord will proceed in his own time and in his own way. Yeah, I often tell students that bring up that question, I'll read them that quote, and they're like, why aren't they talking more about Zion the New Jerusalem? And I'm like, here's your answer right here. The Lord proceeds in his own time. And isn't it interesting, some of the questions we have, I'll often, that students have, I'll, I'll direct their attention back, well, what are the prophets saying? If they're not commenting on certain mm-hmm. things, that that's probably the answer right there, right? Uh, it's not that it's not a doctrine, but there's not not a whole lot more to say. Here's the most recent thing that's been said on Zion, the New Jerusalem, and this is uh, October Conference 2008, and this is Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve. Um, and I would love if any of your listeners, uh, Hank and John, or if you guys have more current stuff, I have a whole PowerPoint deck that I do on this, uh, both in education Week and in a BYU class. I'd love to, but this is the most current thing that I have. Uh, Elder Christofferson said this, Zion is both a place and a people. God has called for the elders of his church to be sent forth across the world to accomplish this gathering, commencing an effort that continues in full vigor today. In our families and in our stakes and districts, let us seek to build up Zion through unity godliness and charity preparing for that great day when zion the new jerusalem will arise so you know as as late as 2008 you have elder christofferson saying yeah that the, the place will rise one day that's going to happen but uh let's right now let's build up zion through unity godliness and charity i love that focus on not zion the place but zion, zion the, people, the people the condition of the heart I think that's one of the fun
0: things going through these uh, sections has been noticing that Zion is a place and Zion is a people and even Zion is a is a, a cause. state of, of being of, of unity of oneness. And, uh, right and it seems to be going in and out of that. I know Hank takes church history tours back there. And it's, I mean, you go to Adam on diamond there's pretty much just a, nothing there except for a farm <laughs> or whatever. And you try to imagine what, what is going to happen here.
1: It, it, and it's usually so hot. I'm like, get back on the bus. John Whitmer has quite a bit to do and yeah. <laughs> quite a few specific things. Right. Uh, uh you know let's look at those things again i think there's a lesson in this preaching expounding writing copying selecting obtaining let me read to you i you you are both familiar with one of my favorite teachers you know we've talked about uh, robert millet you know oh, robert yeah. millet let me read to you something that he says about those things all those specific activities in the context of preaching the gospel it's one of this is one of my favorite all-time quotes He says, the word of God is sufficiently powerful that gospel teachers or preachers do not need to assume the burden of converting their listeners. There is sufficient for the gospel teacher to do by way of reading, studying, preparing, praying, organizing, and presenting that he or she need not feel the obligation to create a spiritual experience. We need not usurp the role of the Holy Ghost. Ultimately, he is the teacher. He is the converter. He is the member of the eternal Godhead charged with carrying the word of truth into the hearts and minds of the children of men. He is the agent of the new birth who sanctifies and empowers human beings. I, you know, I think that is so, so wise, Um, you know, to, to look at that verse. There's so many things that God wants us to do and that we can do, but what he doesn't want us to do is usurp the role of the Holy Ghost. And I, I wonder if sometimes we violate that a few ways. One in which I know I've done before is where I try to create a spiritual experience, right? And and maybe I I hate to even say this, but maybe I try to get too weepy sometimes. I think tears can come naturally, right? I, maybe I tell an overly sensational story rather than just doing the simple things. kind You know, kind of like what we're doing today, just going through... Uh, in teaching the the basic principles, John, like you said, with the first four principles, and we sprinkle a little humor in there, right, uh, <laughs> al- along the way. I wonder for parents, you know, may- maybe parents get too worried sometimes, you know, that they didn't like like we said before that they didn't do enough with their home evening lessons and and with their fireside chats and whatnot, and and to to trust, let's trust Heavenly Father. You don't need to do that, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. That never was your assignment to be the Holy Ghost to convert them. You weren't supposed to convert them. The Holy Ghost did. You had enough to do by way of training, raising, changing (laughs) diapers, and and reading scripture and, and, and living the gospel. Let's stay in our lane and do our stuff and trust that God Will do his stuff.
2: Yeah, there's a great moment in the Old Testament where Jehoshaphat is told to go out and battle an army, and the, what does the prophet tell him? The battle is not yours, but God's. <laughs> this is not right. your fight. This is my fight. The, and we could say that with I, with children, right? These are the Lord's children, not yours, right? Uh, right. And he'll. This is his fight.
1: I,
0: I love what what uh, what Robert Millet said about that. This the, the scriptures themselves have sufficient power just read them yeah just just read them and and share them and people will sense these these words are beyond you know a uh an object lesson or something these words themselves have power i like it um rob what's going on in section 70 can you give us the the backstory and then we'll jump in
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, if if you look in the heading there, you know, this is another uh, Hiram, Ohio, Revelation, November 12th, 1831. The prophet's history states that four special conferences were held from the 1st to the 12th of November inclusive. And the last of these assemblies, the great importance of the revelations that would later be published as the Book of Commandments and then the Doctrine and Covenants would be considered. This revelation was given after the conference voted that the revelations were, quote, worth to the church the riches of the whole earth. I love that. I want to come back to that. I want to come back to that. It then says Joseph's history refers to the revelations as, quote, the foundation of the church in these last days, and benefit to the world, showing that the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom of our Savior are again entrusted to men, end quote. Can I read a statement from President Benson about the Doctrine and Covenants Please. that I think goes perfectly along with this hmm. and the context to section 70? And in fact, when I teach it, uh, my BYU classes, Whenever I teach a, a Doctrine and Covenants class, uh, we, we always read this quote, I, and I'll try to excerpt it so I just get to the meat. But President Benson said this, he says, excluding the witnesses to the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants is by far the greatest External witness and evidence which we have from the Lord that the Book of Mormon is true. Isn't that interesting? Mm. That that Mm. is fascinating to me. And then he goes on and he says this: the Book of Mormon brings men to Christ. The doctrine and covenants brings men to Christ's kingdom. The Book of Mormon is the keystone of our religion and the Doctrine and Covenants is the capstone with continuing revelation. The, and then I love this, the Lord has placed his stamp of approval on both the keystone and the capstone. And then he, he concludes, he says, God bless all of us to use all the scriptures, but in particular, the instrument he designed to bring us to Christ, the Book of Mormon, the keystone of our religion, along with its companion volume, the capstone, the doctrine and covenants, the instrument to bring us to Christ's kingdom. I love that idea. And how often do we talk? I mean, I think all of us know Book of Mormon is number one in the church, right? It's always emphasized, and rightly so. But how many of us um, not only use the doctrine and covenants as a companion volume, but view it as a companion volume on, on par with the Book of Mormon. I mean, that that's pretty powerful, and what a wonderful. If I can just, you know, as, as I was preparing uh, for today and going through this part of the the history of Section seventy, and and I and I remembered this quote from President Benson, and I thought, what an amazing thing! What a tribute, Hank uh, and John, to you guys and your team uh, for doing uh, this type of stuff with the Doctrine and Covenants, where we can uh, go in and dig and call out uh, these powerful principles that, that absolutely should stand on par with the Book of Mormon. Yeah,
2: that is beautiful. In fact, the only other place, and you reminded me of something, Rob, the only other place we've heard that quote is when we did our very first episode with Tony Sweat. And I went and looked at section one. And this is where it would fall chronologically. That's right. So to anyone who has yet to go back, we would encourage anyone, go back, um, if you can, this week. Go listen to our very first episode with Dr. Tony Sweat, because it would fall in line right here, November of 1831, when they wrote the preface that we talked uh, talked about then. And I'll tell you, from that first episode until this one, this book has changed for me um absolutely changed oh, yes. I, I and we're only halfway through uh and it has absolutely changed the way i view the history of the church um and these revelations because i i i had a you know a, a little bit of knowledge about them before but talking to people who have studied them like you rob uh has really changed my my view on them and and they have become more of a companion than a just kind of out there scripture
0: yeah. it reminds me of uh I think a Hugh Nibley statement that the scriptures will wear you out before you wear them out type of a thing. (laughs) Just the idea that there are levels of meaning that you may have never even seen there before. And that's why we don't ever say, oh, I've already read that book. It's read it again, read it again, read it again, because there will be new levels of meaning that will, the Lord will inspire in you that you never thought of before.
1: It's the Leahona, isn't it? There was a new writing on it from time to time, mm. right? And you go into the scriptures and sometimes there, there's a new, I mean, the words are the same, but there's a new writing, a oh, new yes. spiritual writing yeah. from time to time.
2: I've definitely had that experience doing this podcast, John. I oh, know me you too. have too.
1: Yeah. Good stuff.
0: We, we had a comment that came in from somewhere, Hank, where someone said, I love to see you guys taking notes. Like- you're all learning this too. And I thought, oh boy, am I ever.
2: <laughs> and I, in fact, John, I think the exact quote was, it's fun that old people are still learning too. I really- Clearly
0: that, that was me, not you, Hank. That had to be yeah,
2: about me. I, <laughs> I really liked that quote. Don't you love how the Lord finishes these sections?
1: With his mercy, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he
2: said, there's so many times where John has pointed this out to me that, you know, the Lord gives them a parting thought that is usually just so- just uplifting and kind of a shot in the arm, like you're doing great. Behold, I, the Lord, am merciful and will bless them, and they shall enter into the joy of these things. I mean, it's just, I, I love how the Lord chooses to speak to these, um, chooses to speak to these per- people. They're not perfect, and He could point that out. Uh, my patriarchal blessing could have been, Hank, it doesn't look good, uh, but it was a positive message it was it it, and what the lord could have said versus what the lord chooses to say is uh is an important lesson to me uh that we can choose to to speak this way to speak hopefully and encouragingly uh rabbi we have a, a last question for you i think our listeners would love to hear your personal thoughts on joseph smith the restoration and what it has done for you in your life
1: well, th- thanks. That's a great question, and and thanks again for having uh, me on. And uh, I, I'm honored to be able to do that. Um, you know, I think everyone's journey, uh, everyone's journey is a journey. It, it, it evolves, right? Um, I. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, that I often do is I have, in fact, I'll, your listeners can't see this, but this this is my old uh, ninth grade high school seminary copy of the cool. scriptures. I still keep it, and the reason I keep it is every now and then I I need a little bit of humor to go back and read what I wrote. <laughs> And uh, there's some truth to that. I it, It's interesting to see, you know, sometimes we laugh at ourselves where we were. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you two have ever had this before, but I, I go back and I look at some of the things, some of the lesson plans that I had 20 years ago or even mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and I have a pretty good laugh sometimes. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what was I doing, <laughs> you know? And, you know, if one of the, I, I hope your viewers, your listeners, if one thing that maybe... And, and Hank, you mentioned this earlier. One of the things we've really focused on today is God's love, right? His love, his compassion. And I, I, I love God's love. I, I love that he's merciful to us in our weakness. I love that he's merciful to Joseph. Some people might say this is wrong, or they might not understand what I'm going to say. But I, I think we need to be so careful with Joseph with with trying to deify him and try and trying to make him into something that he isn't i think joseph didn't take himself that seriously and now i i don't want to downplay joseph you know section 135 Boy, Joseph's done more. Save that, you know. Some some people misinterpret that, right? I I, I wish we could add a little thing in one thirty-five. The Savior has done way more than yeah. Joseph, right? But Joseph has done a lot with the restoration. And I I I I think what I would say about Joseph and the restoration and my my journey, I'm so grateful for God's grace, His mercy, and that He allows us to change. Um, I will be completely honest with you guys and your listeners. There are so many things that I have an absolute rock solid testimony of in this gospel, the truth of the gospel. I will freely admit too that. There are some things that I, that I haven't fully resolved. And I, um, I don't know if some of those things I'll ever fully resolve. Um, but I, I'm so grateful for God's mercy, his patience, his love, and that he invites us to do the same. He says, Go and do thou likewise, right? Um, I, I want to share with the listeners something that has become a, a big part of who I am and what I teach to my students. But often, when I get students that get perplexed and they get, re- they're like, Oh, I got to leave the church over this or that or the other. I'll often say this to them. I'll say, let me give you two lists, okay? Two lists. And this is what I'd end on today. List number one is this. Book of Mormon translated with seer stones. Garden of Eden is in Jackson County, Missouri. Don't date till you're 16. I mean, we could keep going with that list. Here's list number two. Patience, love, charity, kindness, godliness. You see the difference between those two lists, don't you? I always tell my students, don't become overwhelmed with becoming a scholar of list one, but be a disciple of list number two. If you want to find something over which to leave this church, you'll find it. But there are too many beautiful things. And so many things I see in the church and in the restored gospel that we not only do well, we do better. Like Elder Ballard said five, six years ago in conference, where else are you going to go? I worry about saying that the church is perfect. I think it's better said the gospel of Jesus Christ is perfect. But the people in the church, hopefully we can repent. Mm -hmm. Hopefully God allows change to happen. I know he's allowed change to happen with me. And I'd like to think that he has mercy and compassion and love for his church leaders, Joseph included. And that changes can be made. Does that mean I need to go out and be overtly critical of the brethren? No is it okay to have a healthy understanding that sometimes mistakes are made and sometimes course corrections are made yeah that's good but i don't want to give up what what i have because i know i know that those truths of the gospel which have been revealed to me i do know i don't just believe anymore i know those are true there are some things i believe There's some things I don't know about, but those are very, very few. But I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for Jesus Christ and his restored gospel. and Leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We want to thank Dr. Robert Line for being with us today. John, isn't that just another awesome episode of Follow Him? And it's not because of us. It's because of our awesome guests that we have. Absolutely. Um, we want to thank, of course, our listeners, uh, none of this would happen if it weren't for you. Uh, we're grateful for your support. Uh, we're especially grateful for our executive producers, Steve and Shannon Sorenson. And then we have an amazing production crew. We want to mention them, David Perry, Lisa Spice, Jamie Nielsen, Kyle Nelson, Will Stoughton and Maria Hilton. We hope that you will all join us again on the next episode of follow him.